never wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio Property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow and it is time for your weekly grape encounter and i have such a wonderful story to share with you today it's one of these stories where there's so much to talk about we could probably talk about this winery winemaking operation i should say winemaking family we could talk about them for weeks literally because there's so much texture to the story we're going to have to boil it down to today's segment, but I am so thrilled to introduce you to a mother and son team. You're going to learn a lot about them today. You're going to be really taken aback by what a wonderful business that they've created out of their love for wine and out of their love for family as well. We are at Viadere Vineyards and Winery in the Napa Valley, and sitting with me right now is Delia Viadere and son Alan. Alan is the winemaker here, and Delia, I'm not sure what your title is brain trust or founder or wine mother wine (laughs) she whispers in my ear wine mother that is awesome what a great title so wine mother is the first time i've ever heard that title actually that's well you don't have too many winery owners that are created the vineyard planted the vines made the wine for some time and then made their own winemaker (laughs) Made their own winemaker. That is fantastic. So let me just set a little background here. I receive often press releases on different operations, and I received one about Viadere. And there were so many things in it that I found fascinating. The first thing that caught my eye was the fact that one of their true specialties here is Cabernet Franc, which anybody that listens to Grape Encounters knows I'm a Cab Franc freak, and I'll drink Cab Franc 10 to 1 over Pinot. (laughs) So I just love it. But the rest of the story is so good. And rather than having me tell the story, I'm going to let this family tell the story. You're going to love how this winery came to be. And also, I need to tell you that these are some of the finest wines that you will taste anywhere. Just absolutely amazing wines. They're not paying me to say that. You did, however, feed me. So I think it's fair to say I took food as a bribe. You did turn down the burritos. (laughs) There was no more room. So let's go backwards for a second. This all begins back in the 80s, right? Correct. And you had no intention, I guess, when you were younger to be in the winemaking business. So you're studying philosophy at Sorbonne in France. And then eventually wind up at MIT studying business, correct? Correct. Let's start there. 
what were your general plans when you set about to be on your own in the world? And how did you make a really serious turn in another direction and wind up in the Napa Valley? Well, the turn in another direction, that really surprised my father, who was my biggest and utmost admirer and supporter. And, uh, and can we just talk about your father? Because your father is from Argentina. You're from Argentina. You were born there. And Alan, you were born there as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Correct. And your dad was uh, a prominent person there. Well, my dad was actually born in Barcelona and oh, okay. from Catalan parents. And he worked in the diplomatic court. He was a career diplomat. And that's why I ended up studying in Sorbonne because of his job. Your dad was an ambassador, was he not? Right. Wow. He was the ambassador to France. And that's what sent me to college in France. And my first idea was to follow my father's steps. And given my personality, I realized that I would not make a good diplomat. You can read my <laughs> face, you can read what I'm thinking, you know exactly when I'm pleased and you know exactly when I'm not. And that's not a good trait for a diplomat. I'm too transparent, I'm too honest, too direct. But your father had plans for you to be a my diplomat. My father had plans for me. I'm the only daughter. My two brothers are both engineers and they have a real profession. When I approach so my why, father... So why, why making this not a real profession? Not in well, the eyes of my father. <laughs> no, true. absolutely not. When he heard what I wanted to do after all the studies he would always say you know after all the money that I poured into your education all you want to become is a farmer and in his eyes, he would just tell me, you can do better than this. And perhaps, yes, my counter was, but that, I'm really, really happy. This is my call. Well, sometimes parents don't care if we're happy as long as we do what it is they want us to do. I remember when I started out with this wine show, my father said, what can you say about wine week after week after week? After the second or third week, you're going to run out of things to say. And that was, you know, <laughs> almost nine years ago. <laughs> Alan, let's jump over to you for a second. You had a close relationship with your grandfather? I did, yeah. Every summer he'd come and stay with us. You know, growing up, it was kind of part of my life. That's one of the reasons why I speak Spanish. Okay. Yeah. And so did you observe your grandfather softening about this whole wine idea as time went on and warm up to the idea? Or did you ever sense that he wasn't a big fan of it initially? He was the type of person that would always look at the details and he was always walking the property and seeing what needed to be done and probably giving my mom a hard time. And, you know, she was always trying to juggle a hundred things at the same time, being a single mom, starting a business and all that. He'd walk around and say, well, Alan, I think it's up to you to step up and start helping. So he'd put me on little random jobs and, you know, I didn't know anything <laughs> at that time. I was a young kid, but he was an electrical engineer as well. He could fix anything. So your dad would come out here and he would take young Alan under his wing, dad the ambassador, and making you, in a sense, the person in charge of things, or you were to make sure that you kept your mother on track. I was the second son, but I was raised as kind of the oldest son. My older brother has mental disabilities, so I kind of had that responsibility, and my grandfather also said, well, you know, you got to learn how to fix stuff, so you're going to be with me, and you're going to learn, and this property is not going to run itself. Did so. he teach you how to fix things? Well, I shocked myself a few times, and you know, after <laughs> doing that, uh, I learned what not to do. Yeah, he definitely taught me how to take things apart and fix we are at the Via Dare Vineyard and Winery. I'm sitting with Alan and his mother, Delia. They have been responsible for creating, first of all, some of the best wines that you will ever taste coming out of the Napa Valley or any place that have influences that come from all around the world. You can sense them in the wine. But more interesting is what they have built here. I shouldn't say more interesting, but equally interesting. What they've built here is just astonishing. We're sitting on how many acres? And can you just describe the view? Because we're actually in Delia's home and I'm looking 
out over a lake or a reservoir and beautiful mountains and the view is so stunning. I don't care what wine country you've visited anywhere in the world. This is just as good as it gets right here. And can you just give a little geography lesson for a second? Well, we are located on Howell Mountain. We're not on the AVA, but we are on Howell Mountain itself. We're about 1,300 feet elevation over the Napa Valley, and you're looking to the north, you can see Calistoga. Yeah. And directly in front of us, you can see Spring Mountain, and to the left, you can see the city so, of So this Tarina. is Spring Mountain right here? Right in front oh, of you. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, the Mayakamas Mountains are all... Wow. That whole range here. We're it, on the Vaca range. It is such an amazing spot. And you get to see so much history here, I think, in places that you've heard of. If you love wine, there are just legendary sites everywhere that you look from right here. It's as good as it gets. And I'm sorry, for those of you who feel jealous of me, you'll just have to be. I'm sorry. We'll definitely post some pictures. And the make... doors are open. Yeah, well, that's true, too. <laughs> By appointment only, though, right? Yes. That's, We're that's too great. small. We want to take care of you, so let us know. I love that it's all about quality and you're not trying to replicate that quality a million times over, but get it right in the small quantities that you produce. All right, we're going to come back in just a second. We've got to take a commercial break. That's very important. And we will be back from Viader Winery in the Napa Valley and continue to tell this extraordinary tale of a mother who brought her son and family into the winemaking business. But I guess just as exciting is how she got into the winemaking business after studying philosophy and business. And you know what? If you learn enough philosophies of life, you'll know that you really need to live your life to the fullest. And making wine, I think, is the best way to do that. Okay, that's just a a commercial interjection. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. We know you do your level-headed best to catch every episode of Grape Encounters Radio. But in the event you've ever missed something and want to play catch-up, we keep every single episode archived online at GrapeEncounters.com. Not only can you listen online, you can also explore the remarkable ensemble of goodies we've put there just for you. It's not just a public service, it's how they raise enough dough to pay me. You know, I'm just saying. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. This segment of Grape Encounters is brought to you by my number one wine discovery of 2016, the awesome gold medal winning wines of the Cardello Winery. From the very first sip, you'll understand why these astounding, nicely priced Cardello wines are swiftly becoming a cult classic, just as I predicted. Handcrafted and stunning, you can get yours at CardelloWinery.com. That's CardelloWinery.com. Or find more information at GrapeEncounters.com. For 33 years, the gold standard of wine, food, and art extravaganzas has been wowing visitors to California's Mendocino Coast. Last year, I experienced wine song for the very first time. This year, I want you to come back with me. The 33rd annual wine song begins Friday, September 8th with a Pinot Noir celebration featuring world-class pinots from near and far, paired with culinary treats from the charming Little River Inn, the day's host. On Saturday, September 9th, Wine Song will transform the breathtaking Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens into a food and wine wonderland, as the Grand Tasting's 50 food purveyors and countless world-class wineries serve up their finest, all set to the music of top performers throughout the gardens. 
then it's off to the auction tents where rare and fine art and wine, dream vacations and more will be sold for the benefit of the Mendocino Coast District Hospital. For tickets and information, visit winesong.org. Hi, it's David Wilson, host of Grape Encounters Radio. Last year, I made a prediction that shocked my colleagues. I predicted that the Cardella Winery in Mendota, California, would become one of America's most beloved boutique wine producers. Now, Grape Encounters is heard coast to coast, so when you tell listeners that they'll absolutely go crazy for virtually any of the wines produced by a winery that's off nearly everyone's radar, you had better get it right. Today, Cardella Winery has amassed a truly impressive collection of gold and silver medals from some of America's most prestigious competitions. Listeners from around the country are raving about their Cardella purchases, and face it, it feels great to say, I told you so. If you happen to be coming to the rich farmland of California's Central Valley, make sure to stop by Cardella. You can see the winery, get directions, and even buy online at CardellaWinery.com. That's CardellaWinery.com. They say wine is a truth serum, which is why you'll never hear any fake news on Grape Encounters Radio. Here's David. All right, I have to tell you, I'm having one of the best days of my year, honestly and truly. This is the kind of place that I wish I could spend the rest of my life at. And you know what? If I mooch enough meals from people like Delia and Alan, I might be able to pull that off. Anyway, we're in the Napa Valley. I just had an awesome lunch and now sitting down and talking about the history of Viadere Winery and Vineyards. And it's just such a wonderful story. I was down, Delia, and Alan showed me the wine caves. That was such an unexpected pleasure to walk into those caves. First of all, they're completely covered in moss down the entryway, and it looks like they've been there for hundreds of years. They look so much like the caves that you would see in France or Italy or other places in Europe, but certainly not so much in California. How did you get that sense of aging that you've got all over the property? And more than that, you know, I hate to ask what your inspiration was, but you know, you've had influences from Argentina to France to California and a few stops at places like MIT in between, you know, where did it all come from and what made you go in this direction? Because you've created a very unique property here. It's very unique, but I also don't want to overwhelm the property. I want to be part, a holy vision that I have. I want to be part of the mountain rather than be on top of the mountain. So the caves was the most natural way to age the wines in a natural environment with the temperature of the earth as it comes. We don't need to humidify. We don't need to use electricity to maintain the temperature. It's year-round the same. So it's really as wine was made 500 years ago, 200 years ago, 100 years ago. It is the most natural way, the most holistic way of making wine. We're part of the environment. So Alan, tell me about, you know, some of the things that your mother has thrown into the mix and decided to do on the property. Like, for instance, when she decided to build the caves. I mean, that had to be, how old were you when that happened? That had to be about as exciting as it gets, because, you know, young men in caves, those are two things that go together really well, right? Oh, yeah, good time. I was actually senior in high school when the winery was built, and we had this big archway that led into the mountain that all you could see was just the rock behind it. And it was always something my mom would say, you know, someday, someday that's going to be a cave. And sure enough, a year or two later, we started digging the cave. So she looked at this natural kind of an archway. 
uh-huh. and said, there's going to be a cave right there. Oh, yeah. And no, then there was a cave there. I'm sure she had the entire winery laid out 30 years ago. And so what about Dad? Because your father would come here fairly regularly, right? Yes. And when you would say, you know, Dad, this is where I want to put a wine cave, and he certainly understood wine caves, I'm sure. Well, I had a vision of what I wanted to do from the get-go, and one comment that one of my best friends with whom I shared my vision, and I showed it the place. She came with her kids that were the same age of my kids. And of course, all the kids got full on poison oak from head to toe (laughs) because there was nothing else. There was poison oak and rocks. And I said, here's where I want to plant the vineyard. Here's where I want to put the house. Here's where I want to have the winery. And I want everything connected with tunnels. Yeah. That's right. It is pretty much integrated all together, isn't it? Yeah, I think what I learned from my mom was that you know the best way to control the quality is to control every step of the way. So what we've built here is essentially 100% integration. I mean, we have our own vineyards that my mom decided what clones to plant, which direction to plant. Everything was you know on purpose, and everything had a purpose leading to the winery. All the equipment that we have is made to kind of just take the grapes along on a gentle path into the barrels, which are literally underground right in the same mountain that the vineyards are planted on. So everything is within a five-minute walk, all on one estate. But what seems so extraordinary to me about this story is that you didn't, Delia, come from a winemaking background, a winemaking family. And so the vision that you've put together here, it was something that it came from inside yourself, and you had to dream it all up. Generally, people have strong influences behind them when they take on something this amazing, but it was just something that came out of your imagination. imagination, yes, absolutely. I think it's woman's power in a way. I always enjoy sharing the story because a lot of people were telling me, no, it can't be done. No, you can't plant east-west. You can't plant in a mountain this steep up and down the hill. And let's talk about that for a second because you're on a very rugged piece of property. Mm -hmm. And I guess in the days that... Napa was first growing up, the preference was to build and grow on the flatlands that were easier to manage. Absolutely. And you have, and I'm not sure what the term for it is, but I know that your rows run straight down the mountain, which is not typical, right? No. They usually run perpendicular to the mountain, is that correct? That's correct, contour to the mountain. Yeah. And that with a 32% slope, they would have left a lot of land unprotected. And for erosion purposes, that's what's the main purpose of having it contoured to try to avoid erosion. Having come from a European background, I presented something perhaps new to the United States, but something that was tried and true and very well documented in Europe. So you've got a lot of really famous neighbors and people that were certainly around and watching the single mom Crazy right. lady up the Crazy mountain. lady, you know, philosophy, a doctorate mm-hmm. in philosophy, and masters in business, and they see you out there with your floppy hat, right? You know, I just have this vision, you know, right out of Under the Tuscan Sun, movies like that. Pretty and, much. And were they laughing at you? What do you think that they were saying when you weren't looking? I think people didn't know where to put me. I had a cute accent, 25 years old, with three kids in tow. <laughs> That's amazing. They just thought she doesn't know anything about anything. And I would propose things like if I wear a vine, I want to go with the sun. And going with the sun means going up and down. So you put yourself in the place of a vine. 
common sense. Well, Women it, have a lot of common sense. I know, but you're, you said you're 25 years old yes. with three kids, and you've got this rugged piece of property that you know is so steep that most people wouldn't even take it on. No. But that's not uncommon in Europe. You know, you'll right. take on, and especially Argentina, where you're from. Talk about up in the mountains. Yeah, you talk those about are real mountains. And guess what? Those are where some of the best wines in the world come from because mm-hmm. of that rugged terrain. The grapes love that. Well, you know, it creates wonderful, beautiful stress. Yeah, that's fantastic. And wonderful exposure, actually. And in the meantime, Alan, you don't know any better, right? You obviously have this huge respect for your mom. You know, just in talking, it doesn't seem like you would doubt anything that she suggests just because she's hit so many home runs. That's right. Is that true? As a kid, I would just try to absorb as much as possible. I was just following along, and I was happy to help where I could. I mean, I was nine years old, and I said, hey, where can I help? And my mom said, you can grab a shovel, jump in that tank, and, you know, get to work. And I said, absolutely. I was just so excited to learn every aspect of everything. I mean, it was so new for me. It's very common for young men to have their dads be their heroes. Was your mom your hero? Yeah. She's my mom and my dad, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, the single mom. My dad was kind of more of a My grandfather definitely filled in some gaps. Yeah. And you had great respect for him as well. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Listen, we've got lots more to talk about. We are at Via Dare, and you know what? If you have a computer in front of you while you're listening, then feel free to Google it. It's V-I-A-D-E-R. They just make a Amazing wine. So you're going to pay a little more for these wines. Believe me, if you, the more you learn about this property, you'll understand why these are really considered to be, you know, some of the finest. And these are high-end wines, and they deserve to be because they're just that fantastic. And they make a very small quantity of really, truly amazing wine. So we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. The best way to avoid spitting wine is to avoid wines unworthy of being swallowed. David will be back in a spit second. Oops, uh, make that split second. Four years ago, I moved Grape Encounters to the Paso Robles wine region on California's central coast because the world-renowned winemakers and chefs who have settled here have spawned a food and wine culture that defies description. On August 12th, I want to show it off to you in a very big way at Paso's signature wine and food event, the 19th annual Winemakers Cook-Off which attracts foodies from coast to coast. On August 12th, thousands of you will descend upon Paso Robles, where an army of the world's finest winemakers will pour for you, cook for you, or team up with their winery's head chefs to create purely unimaginable pairings. This may be America's most pleasurable wine and food experience, serving up more than a month's worth of indescribably delicious wines and food in a single evening. Get your tickets online at winemakerscookoff.com. Let's redefine decadence together. Log on to winemakerscookoff.com. When we decided to make the quaint city of Atascadero in the Central Coast wine country of California the permanent home of Grape Encounters Radio, we couldn't have been happier. We wanted to be someplace that was a genuine slice of Americana. Hospitable, unpretentious, and in close proximity to a diverse range of things to do. Atascadero is just minutes away from hundreds of world-class wineries, the breathtaking Blue Pacific, legendary Hearst Castle, hiking, biking, endless culinary options, the delightful Charles Paddock Zoo, and historic sites like our magnificent City Hall and Colony District. Best of all, Atascadero is a very economical alternative to pricier wine country destinations. 
I'm very pleased to invite you to visit our city, our region, and of course, the Grape Encounters Emporium, home of America's number one wine radio show and five-star tasting room. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. We can't wait to welcome you. Big, fun, and chatty. This is Grape Encounters Radio. Here's David Wilson. And I've got wine on my mind all the time. And back with Grape Encounters Radio coming to you from way atop Howl Mountain. Not the Howl Mountain AVA, but Howl Mountain all the same. Maybe the best part of it, actually. And we're at the best view. <laughs> yeah, definitely the best view. We are at Via Dare, and I'm sitting here with Alan and the wine mom, as she describes herself, Delia. And we were talking about what it must have been like to have your famous neighbors sort of watching the 25-year-old mother with three kids in tow, trying to figure out how to take this really rocky, you know, I hate to use the term, but God-forsaken piece of property that was so steep that nobody wants to touch it, yet they left it to you and probably had some really good chuckles for a while. So let's start here. Tell me a little bit about who some of the people that, first of all, Alan, that you grew up with and went to school with, because, you know, all of the famous winemakers that we all know, they all had kids, and you were, I guess, playing baseball with the likes of them, right? Yeah, I grew up in San Helena, and a lot of the local families here, the big names that you would recognize. Name some of them, that the names that people would recognize. Best well, man at your wedding? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had lots of good friends. Charlie Wagner was of the Camus family. Yeah. Uh, definitely one of my close friends growing up. And, you know, we got into a lot of trouble together. And Corey Emting, I grew up with him. One of my close friends was not from a winemaking family, but he's kind of built himself into the business and has worked really hard. And now he's, you know, one of the winemakers at Harlan Estate. So he's yeah. done pretty good. It's funny, I guess, when you're growing up with all of these people and the names that we all see on bottles and we go, wow, that's a great wine. But they're just regular people, right? And I'm guessing you didn't have a sense of how significant these labels were, or did you? No, I mean, we would go out with David Abreu, one of the famous vineyard managers. He actually put our vineyard in, and, you know, we'd go to harvest parties, and we'd go to all these really nice places that, you know, we'd tap some barrels as kids, and we'd have a little bit of fun, and we had no idea that someday they're going to be cult wines. And, you know, we grew up with Maya Della Valle of Della Valle Vineyards. So when you say cult wines, is that how you would describe the Viadere wines as a cult wine? Cult is one of those definitions that's hard to pinpoint, but I think something hard to get, something very artisanal, high-end, small batch. Yeah, definitely something that would define our the style. small our group wines. is in the know, because yeah, we're so radar, small producers that we can only apply ourselves to a very small distinctive group. You know, going back to Doubting Fathers for a second, I remember when I first became very interested, I hope my dad's not listening to this, but when I first became really interested in wine, and my father would say, why would anybody spend $30 on a bottle of wine? To him, that is a tremendous amount of money for wine, let alone $100 or $200 for a bottle of wine. But if you come to a property like this, and you look at the challenges and what it takes to make an astonishing wine, you know, you realize and you amortize that over the very small amount that is produced, you know, some winemakers will tell you, and rightfully so, that there's not much profit in it. Well, let's turn it around. Uh, what is it that you get when you really, really enjoy a great wine? And I mean, a great wine, whatever it costs you, if it makes a fantastic experience, it's a day in your life that you're never going to forget. That moment, what would you pay for it? 
And then that's a good point. You know, people will go out and they'll spend $500 a ticket to go see the Rolling Stones, right? And yet the idea of paying $100, let's say, for a bottle of wine is foreign. And, you know, and I do want to say this, that we are a show that really talks a lot about finding values out there because none of us who are in the wine business drink $200 wine every single day. We drink everyday wine much of the time. And it's funny because a lot of people who are in the wine business really enjoy finding great values. It's kind of a fun challenge for them, but it's just, I think, a matter of how you value things. How you value the moment. And that can come from anything that you've purchased for 20 bucks or for 200 bucks. How do you value a day in your life that it was just perfect, that you are going to remember for many, many years to come? Okay, so you're our resident doctor of philosophy from the Sorbonne. So I'm how, talking about the, so, the so, long-term uh, view. And well, the I know, but then, so, so, so from your perspective, from a philosophical perspective, how do you place a value on a perfect day, a perfect wine, a Rolling Stones concert? Moment. <laughs> Either of you, is there a way that you judge whether it was worth it, it was worth the effort, it was worth the money, it was worth the time? Yes, I totally, I've had kind of almost revelations, I call them, with wines that had cost me little and wines that cost me a lot that did not deliver. So it's not a value in money. I value it in the moment, in the experience that I gather. It really depends on so many factors. And the friend that you're meeting after 20 years that you haven't seen is like a long long-lost friend that you share a bottle of wine that disappears in no time. It's not because we are drinking wine. It's because that wine perfected that atmosphere, that created that moment, that it exchanged, that the, it will the, not be repeated any other time. The wines should be transparent. Perfect the, background music. Perfect background music. Beautiful. Allow that exchange, that kind of a meeting of the souls. It's amazing when you think about wine, and I don't know that many of us really sit back and give it this much thought, but when you think of literally, you know, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of different wines that are made across the universe, you know, there's a reason for that. And why is it this one product, this one consumable good above all other consumable goods in the entire world demands that much variety and why it is that we want that many choices? Because there seems to be, I guess, a wine for every single situation and purpose. And we depend on it, it seems. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Am I being philosophical? Yeah, a little bit, I guess. Well, let's look at it from a different perspective. I mean, my perspective has always been working in the vineyards and the creation, the production of the wines. And I appreciate a wine for its location, for the work that's gone into it, the vineyard managers, like the people actually working in the soil and the rock and planting and manicuring these vines to create these works of art. Yeah. Whether I spent $20 or whether I spent $2,000 and, you know, went big, I have to have some kind of connection, connection. to the soil. I have to buy into what the winemaker was doing what the artist was doing or what they were thinking. The same goes with art, with cars, whatever. You buy because you believe in the craftsmanship and the artwork. So what do the two of you do when somebody gives you a wine to taste and it's just not doing it for you? It's not magical. What do you say? That's very interesting. Thank you. The I word, the interesting <laughs> word. Somebody needs to write a book called Interesting Wine because yeah. you know for sure that when somebody says, especially a, a bit of a wine expert says that a wine is interesting, it means it's definitely not interesting at all. It's 
interesting that you uh, poured this me, for me. To me, it's always interesting because I want to know what made it the way it is. And if it's not doing it for me, it's also not relevant. I want to know what went into making it and why this person thinks that this is the superb. Have you ever asked somebody who's given you a wine that you didn't like, what is it that you saw in this wine? I said, why is it? Because I don't know what he wanted to express. I need to know, I need to be in that person's mind and in that person's frame of mind to understand perhaps. I put it more on my end than on the wine's lack of engaging, so to speak. It's the same as art. Not everybody gets modern art in particular. It's very difficult to get for most people. Well, what was this person trying to portray? What was this person trying to achieve? And in the sense of wine, I'm always curious. Yeah. And that's what leads me to wine. The wine world is actually a very small world and it's a very close community all over the world. And you can learn so very much from people that are just starting in Croatia as people starting in Napa Valley or people starting in South America. There is so much common traits, so much that you can really distill and that enthusiasm, that kind of... The passion. That passion that comes through in what they're trying to portray. If you were to ask somebody what it was about this wine that really got them so enthused, do you think any amount of conversation is going to make you feel better about that wine and find it more delicious than that first impression? I mean, I'm in the business, so I kind of have this respect for my fellow winemakers, and I try to get behind their goal and what they're after. What they're but can they talk for. you into liking the wine more? Maybe not. I mean, my personal taste is different than your personal taste, and it's different than everybody else. But I can fall in love with the story and with the idea, and say, "Well, you know what? I keep can respect trying. that." You drink you know, that? <laughs> no, you can say, "Keep trying. You're in the good track." Okay. Perhaps this is not showing everything that you envisioned yet, but one day you will. Because don't you think it's a disservice to not tell somebody that the wine still needs work? Yeah. I think it is a disservice. Yeah. If somebody really asks for my opinion, I'm going to give it. And it's just my humble opinion. I'm not an expert. I only have one opinion according to my taste. But I try to ask the right questions and as many questions as I can to try to understand what is that he wanted to portray or she wanted to portray. Because I don't think that the judgment is, oh, this wine is good, this wine is bad, and there's only that. I don't think that anybody can teach you what's good or what's bad, other than yourself, and it's really an opinion. But there are a set of fundamentals out there in almost anything that you do, whether you're making clothing or you're making wine, there are certain principles that you need to follow that lead to something that we call quality, and if the fundamentals aren't Mm -hmm. there, you know, no amount of justification is going to make that product any better. That's absolutely true. There are some parameters that define beauty, for example. But they also tell you the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So there are certain parameters that define, okay, this baby is going to be Miss Universe because there are certain parameters in her physical. Yeah, we're going to have to take a break here, but we have just a few minutes left to spend with Delia and Alan, the winemaker, Delia, the brain trust, and I want to say wine mom, and the chief philosopher of Viader. And we'll be back with more on Grape Encounters in just a moment. So stick with us. For 33 years, the gold standard of wine, food, and art extravaganzas has been wowing visitors to California's Mendocino Coast. Last year, I experienced wine song for the very first time. This year, I want you to come back with me. The 33rd annual wine song begins Friday, September 8th with a Pinot Noir celebration 
featuring world-class pinots from near and far, paired with culinary treats from the charming Little River Inn, the day's host. On Saturday, September 9th, Wine Song will transform the breathtaking Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens into a food and wine wonderland as the Grand Tasting's 50 food purveyors and countless world-class wineries serve up their finest, all set to the music of top performers throughout the gardens. Then it's off to the auction tents, where rare and fine art and wine, dream vacations and more, will be sold for the benefit of the Mendocino Coast District Hospital. For tickets and information, visit winesong.org. Words can be very confusing. When you're crazy, people say that you're nuts. But what if you're crazy about... Nuts. Well, that doesn't mean that you should be sent to the funny farm. It means that you should be sent to the farm of MM Organics, the producers of organic heirloom walnuts and walnut products that are so incomparably unique and delicious, other nuts will be reduced to wallflowers. Whoops, there we go with those crazy meanings of words again. After all, if being a wallflower means disappearing into the background, then why does being a walnut from MM Organics mean standing out from the rest? Confused? Well, you won't be when you discover the glorious deliciousness of walnut halves, baking pieces, fair trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and other scrumptious walnut products from MM Organics. Learn more and order yours at mmorganics.com, where you'll also find our utterly irresistible two-horse Portuguese dessert wine that everyone goes nuts for. Get crazy at mmorganics.com. Rio Williams lived down a dirt road Wine is certainly not the key to happiness, but if you'll give us the key to your wine cellar, we'll spend a few hours double-checking that hypothesis. In the meantime, your grape encounter with David Wilson and his very happy-go-lucky friends continues. Okay, tell you what, time flies when you're having amazing wine, and boy, have I had some awesome, awesome wines today. I didn't even get a chance, really, to talk about one of the main reasons we came here to Via Dare to talk to Delia and Alan, and that is Cabernet Franc. Just one of the best varietals on the planet, and nobody makes them quite as special, I think, as Via Dare. Well, I shouldn't say that. Everybody's got their own signature, but I love the signature that you put on your wines. The the Cab Francs are just amazing, the Cabernets and the blends. You know, everything that's coming off of this mountain, the Bordeaux varietals are just spectacular, spectacular wines. It's just, it's one of those things where you just want to sit in and drink the bottle and nothing else. It's like the ultimate food wine. The ultimate food wine, we drink the wine as the meal. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so Cab Franc, let's talk about that for a second because you've put a lot of faith in Cab Franc and we are seeing a lot more Cab Franc these days showing up. Is it finally time for Cab Franc to reemerge as the father of Cabernet Sauvignon and not just another Bordeaux? I think so. I think for a long time, Cabernet Franc was relegated to be that obscure lost brother or something and has emerged because the public, the people that taste wine says, oh, you know, a young Cabernet Sauvignon can be a little bit harsh, a little bit bitter when young, but Cabernet Franc can be so floral, so almost feminine, so almost enveloping in itself when it's young. It's a lot easier to try a Cabernet Franc first and then Cabernet Sauvignon. And it doesn't make for too much of an education, too much of an effort. It's just easy to like. Yeah, definitely. Alan, for you, of the Bordeaux varietals, where are your partialities? 
And I'm not going to ask you what's your favorite one because we all hate that question. But, you know, these are all your children planted out there. Are there one or two that really you pay special attention to and you want them to do especially well? Well, you're asking the son of the queen of Cap Franc here. I love Cap Franc for many reasons. It's definitely one that I keep a close eye on in the vineyard because it does require a little bit more vineyard practices. You have to be more attentive the entire growing season. I mean, it starts fast, yet you have to manicure it and you have to really prune it back and thin things down. Yeah. Really take care of it every step of the way. And then it takes its time towards the end at harvest. So it's one of those hurry up and then wait kind of varietals. Yeah. Uh, Let's kind of take this story to present day now. We started out talking about how you got here and what you had to go through to get yourself really to the top of the game. So now let's revisit those neighbors that were watching you so many years ago and maybe had their own doubts about your success. What do they say now? Is there anything that you remember that anybody has said to you over the years that really gave you a sense of satisfaction that you really got it right and following your instincts really was the best thing to do? Well, the best sense of satisfaction is that after all the trials and tribulations of getting everything established the way I thought would make sense, you start seeing people copying you. And I think copying is the best form of complimenting because they adopt it as their own. So a lot of other hillside vineyards were planted the same way that I did. A lot of other people started paying attention to Cabernet Franc. So I like to take a little bit of credit in having introduced the thought or introduce the variety to them as a possibility. I think that's... And what other lady winemakers were out there when you were doing this? Very, very few. And as circuitous links have it, one is actually my very, very best friend, and I didn't even know that we were making the same blend until we got to know each other more. And I'm talking about Maya, about Della Valle, and she uses about 45% of Cabernet Franc in her blend. And I was, we tasted today, 2001, which is 45% of Cabernet Franc in the blend. We didn't know. We knew each other, but we didn't know so what we were making. So you're both out there making the same blends, but just completely unaware of it. Is uh, your... Completely unaware that we were so partial to Cabernet Franc. Are you Franc. similar people? We are very similar people. Believe it or not, people confuse us all the time because we are together socially in many events. But my very good friend, as her name says, Naoko, she's Japanese. Mm-hmm. And I am not, but somehow we get confused a lot because we're together a lot. So what do you guys still need to do that you haven't done? You know, what's that thing that you sit around when you're drinking your wine and talking about your dreams and goals for your life? And maybe it's not about wine, but what's next for the Viader family? Next the, generation. Yeah, the next generation. But also, I mean, right now, the big thing on my to-do list is stewardship and green certification. I just got the Napa Green Winery certification and and I'm working towards, you know, the sustainability side and working back to help the environment and just kind of do our part in the community and just improve our footprint, let's say. Yeah. And for you? Probably the same. I've always been a very adamant advocate of education in the community and education within my little group of people. I think that means a lot to a lot of the people that have worked for me for over 20, 25 years, 30 years, that I've been able to allow them to put their kids through elementary, high school, 
college and many of them really took an opportunity and run with it. And I'm happy and I feel very proud of their achievements because I see that makes a difference in the community, makes a difference later on when those people, those kids come and form families, they will continue with the same values, with the same integrity, with the same love for education as a way out of the system. Most people came to work with very little education and they're granted an opportunity to succeed and they all had the same opportunity and the few that actually took it you can see them fly and that to me it creates a very great feeling you know what there's nothing we can say beyond that that's just a beautiful way to leave it i'm so delighted we got to spend this time together thank you so much for hosting me today it was a pleasure hosting you back i hope to come back here sometime really soon for people who want more information about via dare the best way to find that would be your website i suppose viadere.com Viadere.com. And that's, by the way, V-I-A-D-E-R.com. Mm-hmm. And they can come here every day, but you need to make a reservation, Yeah, correct? we're very small, and we do single tastings, you know, one-on-one type thing. And All right. Hey, thank you guys so much. What a pleasure. Delia Viadere and Alan Viadere, it's a really wonderful story. You can find plenty written on it about this family. Also, if you Google them online, there's more to the tale. And it really is such a wonderful tale of heading in one direction and actually taking all of that knowledge that you thought you were going to use one way to create something even better than what you set out to create. And that's a great story. Thank you, guys guys so much. Thank you. That is going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. We will be back with more tales from the vineyard next week, so stay with us. We'll be right here on this very same station at this very same time. This week's Grape Encounters is down to the last drop. Don't let that trouble you. We're headed down to the wine cellar in search of something remarkably special to share with you next week. Until then, we've got hundreds upon hundreds of past episodes ready to be uncorked at GrapeEncounters.com. Help yourself to anything you'd like. Anything you'd like.